Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. When your space has the long-lasting, noticeable scent of Airwick Vibrant Scented Oils, you'll want to invite everyone over, from book club to the fantasy league, even the in-laws. It smells amazing. Airwick Vibrant Scented Oils are infused with two times more natural essential oils versus regular Airwick Scented Oils for our most authentic, nature-inspired fragrance experience. Hmm. Transform your space with scents like white sage and mahogany or lavender and water lily. Now that's a breath of fresh Airwick. This is an historic time. This is going to be a multi-year fight. Why is it taking so long to get a screening test? It is not a hoax. It is real. Something that we have never experienced before. Wash hands, wash hands, wash hands. I mean, you're the scientist. You're going to have to tell me. (laughs) Welcome, welcome to Science Rules, Coronavirus Edition. I'm your host, Bill Nye, and this is the series that brings you the latest analysis and the science of this pandemic to keep you informed, prepared, and calm. We are still all in this together, my friends. As of Monday, there have been almost 7.8 million cases of COVID-19 reported in the U.S. since the pandemic started, with at least 214,000 deaths. About a fifth of all the deaths around the world have occurred here in the United States. For the past seven months, restaurants and businesses around the country have scraped by, barely, with outdoor dining and shopping. But soon, cold weather will force almost all of us inside, and we'll have to deal with the difficult question. Is it possible to be in a closed space with others and still be safe? One idea that people are touting as a possible savior for indoor dining and shopping is ultraviolet light, using invisible radiation to destroy the coronavirus. It sounds almost too good to be true. Here to help us understand the potential of ultraviolet light is Dr. Carl Linden. He is a professor of environmental engineering at the University of Colorado, Boulder. Dr. Linden, welcome to Science Rules. May I call you Carl? Yes, you may. So ultraviolet, everybody, is light that's higher energy than violet. It's ultra in Latin is beyond. So this is light that has more energy than purple. Is that right? Correct. It's beyond the violet range, as you mentioned. And UV light is typically ranging on wavelengths between about 100 nanometers up to 400 nanometers. A nanometer is a fabulous thing. It's a billionth of a meter. But what, for example, is green light? So visible light is between 400 and 700 nanometers. And the light that comes down from from the sun onto the Earth's surface is between about 300 nanometers and above. So ultraviolet light lands here naturally. It does, but it, it's the, the ultraviolet light that's important for us for disinfection is actually below 300 nanometers. And thankfully, we have the ozone layer that filters out those wavelengths because those wavelengths are actually quite damaging to our genetic material and to our skin. And speaking of damaging ma- genetic material, this light at that wavelength can damage a coronavirus. Exactly. And that's how UV works. It damages the genetic material or the proteins of an organism. 
and causes that organism to be inactivated so it cannot cause an infection. There you go. And the example that I think about off the top of my head is uh, hydrogen peroxide. It comes in a brown bottle, a dark brown bottle to keep light from breaking it down, right? Exactly. In store shelves, things like chlorine and hydrogen peroxide can break down from light. That's a process called photolysis, where the photons actually degrade the chemical that you want it to have being active, but it degrades it into some innocuous type of material like water in the case of hydrogen peroxide. So thinking out loud, Ling, if you were a coronavirus and the atmosphere did not block ultraviolet at these short wavelengths, these high energy wavelengths, you would be destroyed by sunlight. Exactly. Yeah, you'd be destroyed by sunlight. And actually, that was the case on the Earth's surface for a long time before there was an ozone layer. Uh, we've adapted now, you know, now that there is an ozone layer, we've adapted to life with ultraviolet light in the wavelength ranges between 300 and above. But if we had those lower wavelengths, we'd be seeing a lot of skin damage. And certainly we'd see inactivation of many, many organisms due to the sunlight if it could get through. Just for listeners who don't run around with physics all day, when the wavelength gets shorter, the frequency is higher. And the wavelength gets shorter, it means there's more energy per moment of time that goes by. So how did you come across the idea, or how did anybody come across the idea that ultraviolet light will damage uh, a virus protein? Well, there's two things that UV does. The first thing is it has to get absorbed by the target molecule. And in our case, it's nucleic acids, say DNA or RNA, or even proteins. Those can all be target molecules. So the absorption of those molecules have to absorb the light that we're interested in. The second thing is, as you mentioned, it needs to have enough energy to cause damage to that bond that you know keeps everything normal and operating. So for instance, you need the right wavelength that will be absorbed, but you also need enough energy to cause lasting damage to those bonds on, say, the nucleic acid strand of the DNA. So it has to, at first of all, it has to be, if I may, tuned, right? If you had it too high a frequency, it would just go right past the molecule somehow. Too low a frequency, it doesn't, but it has to hit the molecule at its natural resonance, right? And somehow it, this does. Yeah, it turns out that the absorbance of nucleic acids peaks around 260 nanometers. And one of our most common UV lamps emits at 254 nanometers. These are typical low-pressure mercury vapor lamps. My Elvis poster, right? Your Elvis poster actually is fluorescing because it is absorbing light at 365 nanometers. The black lights that you have in your room, those actually aren't damaging your genetic material, thankfully, because a lot of people have those. But they are fluorescing and absorbing at around 365 nanometers and fluorescing this interesting fluorescent light that comes off. But then at a higher energy with shorter wavelengths, it can damage viruses. Exactly. Those are the wavelengths that are absorbed by the nucleic acids, such as around between usually 240 to 280 nanometers is the sweet spot for an activation of pathogens. And also below 230 nanometers turns out to be very, very effective also for an activation of pathogens. All right. So... This is all very great, you guys. On the Earth's surface, we don't get these frequencies because of the atmosphere, but it's easy to create them in a fluorescent lamp kind of thing, right? Exactly. And then, so the idea is if you could pass, my understanding in New York City, for example, water goes through these ultraviolet blasto things to kill the bacteria. 
And I can tell you as a homeowner with an irrigation, so, you know, watering my lawn, you're required in Los Angeles County to have an ultraviolet light that the rainwater passes through to kill bacteria in bird poop from the roof, for example. And so it has been discovered, if I understand it, that a certain frequency of ultraviolet will kill or knock out coronavirus. Yeah, UV is actually a part of our everyday lives in that way, as you mentioned. I mean, New York City, as you mentioned, uses UV light for disinfection of its whole water supply. We're talking 2 billion gallons of water a day are getting zapped by UV photons to help protect the public against pathogens. And the coronavirus is another pathogen. It's just another virus. Um, it's very, very susceptible to UV irradiation, and it can actually be killed quite easily with low doses of UV light. So when you say low doses... First of all, ultraviolet is what makes me tan because it's uh, your melanin is reacting to it. But it's easy to get too much ultraviolet, right? So how much is enough to kill coronavirus? Well, certainly we know from being at the beach, you know, your skin is going to get absorbing the UV light. And these are UV wavelengths, again, that are reaching the Earth's surface. These thankfully aren't hugely damaging to our nucleic acids and our genetic makeup but we'd see our, our skin getting darker uh, due to absorption of that light. Um, as far as the coronavirus goes, when we talk about low doses, I'm comparing, say, the doses that are typically used in water disinfection systems. Most pathogens, you need a dose, and, and these are some units here. The, the doses that you use are, are called units of millijoules per centimeter squared. It's basically the energy per area that you're exposing these pathogens. Uh, a joule is like a food calorie. That's another way to think about it. It's energy, yes. We definitely know that UV light from the sun is also effective for inactivating pathogens, but it takes a lot longer time. But in general, since we have a long day and a long exposure, that definitely helps. But I think the most important thing and the combination of things even indoors is both having ventilation, fresh air coming in, a lot of air exchanges. So you dilute the air between people. So the mm -hmm. concentration of the virus is going from one person to the other. It gets diluted. That on top of the fact that we can also disinfect the air whether it's through an air handling system or through, say, germicidal lamps in a room, maybe around the ceiling area. Whoa, 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 germicidal lamps. Tell us about germicidal lamps. Well, germicidal lamps are basically lamps that emit the UV light that's effective for killing things, so effective for killing the viruses. So a lamp that emits at 254 nanometers is a germicidal lamp. These are things that will you know, emit germicidal photons so that we can kill the pathogens that we, we want to get rid of. So how, how much do I need? Uh, do I need a 100-watt light bulb and a cup of water? What do I need? Yeah, so, so if you have like a 30-watt light bulb uh, emitting UV light and you had just a few seconds of exposure, depends on how far you are from that lamp, all you need is a few seconds of exposure. And it's, it's pretty incredible, Bill, because, I mean, New York City, with their water supply, we're talking about UV light that gets exposed to the water in less, less than one second of exposure time inactivates the pathogens in that water. It's, it works. How well. intense is that light? How much well, is that? It's quite intense. There's, the lamps are, are quite high intense. They're on, on order of kilowatts of output. But that said, we don't need that, say, in air because water absorbs a lot of UV light. But in air, the UV light really transmits quite easily because there's not a lot of things in the air to absorb those photons. So the light can travel quite far. We need quite a lot lower intensity of light in, say, an upper room disinfection system or an air handling system. We just need a few watts of light. And as long as you have a couple of seconds of exposure, you can cause an activation of those pathogens. So your proposal, if I understand it, is to put germicidal lamps 
in the air handling systems of a lot of public spaces. If you can get enough ventilation air moving through those systems, that's a very, very effective way. Another way is to just put lamps, say, in the ceiling and make sure you have enough air circulation so the air moves around and the lights aren't actually shining down on people, but they're shining upward toward the ceiling and say you have one or two feet of the kill zone up there. And as long as you get the air up there, you're going to be killing those pathogens that are in the air. So I'm imagining, like when I went to elementary school, there were lights hanging from the ceiling with what I would describe as bowls underneath them, like ceramic bowls. So uh, they're aesthetically quite nice. The light bounces off the inside of the bowl, up toward the ceiling, off the ceiling, back down to us, right? Yes. So if I understand it, we would rig up something like that. It may not be a round bowl. It might be a long uh, half cylinder, like a rain gutter, right? With ultraviolet light in it. And then if the air was swooshing through there enough in a bar, a discotheque, a lovely family dining facility, we would germicide the heck out of the coronavirus and kill it, right? That would be very effective. And, and, and the UV light in that region would be enough to kill those pathogens very quickly in a matter of seconds, as long as we had the right intensity of light there. What, how much intensity is needed? I mean, could people, would it break the bank an electrical bill or it just be nothing? No, these would be standard fluorescent type lamps that you have. Actually, the tube lamps that we all have in our homes are hopefully not much anymore, but certainly in businesses and industries, those tube lamps are the exact same ones we'd use for UV. And those actually emit UV light, these fluorescent lights. But what they do is they have a phosphor coating on them and the phosphor absorbs a high energy UV and then fluoresces in the visible light range, that's why we get visible light out of fluorescent lamps. But the technology is the exact same that we'd use for these UV lights. We'll be back right after this. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday, and french fries are a food group where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again ocean city maryland somewhere to smile about book your trip at oceocean.com this is a big year the ohio lottery's golden anniversary 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Walmart Plus members save on Meeting Up With Friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. All right, so let's say we figured you figured this out. What do you want the world to do during this pandemic? Well, there's a lot of strategies that we can take. Uh, I mentioned the air handling system, UV. 
bulbs, which are key if we can get enough ventilation and air movement. Then I mentioned the upper room germicidal. Uh, is there a problem manufacturing the bulbs or is it straightforward? No, those are those are readily available, uh, highly available all over. Um, you can order them. You know, it's not going to be like toilet paper, right? I mean, no, hopefully not. Yeah. And yeah. this is not, honestly, this is not something you want to do by yourself at home because there are dangers. And I want to talk about those dangers in a few minutes, but, but a couple of strategies here. I mentioned their handling system and I mentioned the upper room germicidal kill zone. And these are both strategies where the person, we don't need to get exposed to UV directly. And UV, it turns out, is actually quite hazardous on certain wavelengths to our skin. As we know, we get sunburned and this is like super sunburned. There's other possibilities in addition to these two applications, and there's a different type of UV light. It's it's called far UVC radiation, and it's actually a wavelength much, much lower than the 254 wavelengths. Is this the 222? Exactly. This is a 222 nanometers, and, and these are emitted by certain types of lamps. They're emitted by excimer sources, uh, krypton chloride, excimer lamps. So what is it about 222 that's 222 nanometers that is so good or potentially good? Well, what we're learning about 222 is that unlike 254, which when it hits your skin, it penetrates into your epidermis and can actually damage your skin quite severely and your eyes. The 222 is so has such high energy and gets highly absorbed in the top micron of your skin surface. So those dead skin cells absorb it and it actually doesn't penetrate deeply into your skin. So it doesn't cause the damage that typically UV-254 would cause. It doesn't cause that, that deep burning that would damage your, your lower layers of your skin. And this has potential advantages because it might mean that we can have UV that's very effective for killing viruses in areas where humans are getting exposed. And this is kind of a far out concept because it, it kind of goes against conventional wisdom that UV is bad and, and UV is going to damage your skin and damage your eyes. And this is fairly new information that's come out in the last even year or so about 222. And a lot of the work's been done up at Columbia. It was funny because my, my mom actually, you know, I grew up in New York City and my mom sent me an article from the Daily News or the Post or something. It said, one of my favorite bakeries, the Magnolia Bakery in New York was putting in these UV portals and these UV lights. And I kind of freaked out. I was like, oh my goodness, they're doing this. It's going to be damaging and dangerous to people. I wasn't, it seems kind of crazy. Yeah, it just seems too good to be true. But it but turns out they're using these 222 nanometer lamps and, and those that turns out, you know, may not be damaging to our skin. We still, we still need to do more research over long exposure times, make sure things are really safe. But the initial work that's come out is indicating that this wavelength might actually be, you know, important in spaces that humans can occupy. And well, how long would you have to be in the portal? Well, that's like the thing. The, the portal yeah. thing is, is a little bit, I'm not sure how well that's going to work actually, because you need to be in a portal for quite a while. And plus, what are you actually doing in a portal? You're disinfecting your clothes or your arm. Maybe you could walk through and you still be breathing out coronavirus right when you get through the portal. It's not going to really help much other than the time you're in there to disinfect around you. One of the things I was thinking about is, uh, say at a cash register where there's a lot of high customer contact, having some kind of a beam of light, if you want, um, between the customer and the cashier, for instance, who's there all day, you have to make sure the doses that they're getting over the day is not going to be above the threshold level that is concerning the human health. But you know what we know about 222 is it might be quite effective for that. And as a professor, for me, I imagine, imagine if I could be in a lecture room where I had this curtain of UV light between me and the students. <laughs> exactly. Anything I spoke or breathed went through that curtain and, and it would get inactivated if I happen to have some virus, whether it's the flu or something else or Corona or whatever it might be. 
I mean, those are the kind of applications that might be possible with this type of UV light. But okay, so this all sounds very cool. I'm the cashier. There'd be a layer of plexiglass or a pane of plexiglass, and then a beam, a curtain of ultraviolet at 222 billionths of a meter wavelength, right? Yeah. All right. Now, does plexiglass stop ultraviolet? Yes, it will. It will definitely absorb that. So could we do this in an airport, offices, schools? Like, it just seems to me when you're just walking through a curtain of ultraviolet, like you're not there long enough. And to your point, when you're breathing, I mean, you could just be bringing it right in. But still, intuitively, if you're walking down an airport concourse, that's the length of a football field or something, it seems to me you could be in a low ultraviolet environment for a long time or for enough time. Yeah, you could. And I think that could be effective. Uh, the key is, as I mentioned before, the intensity of light and the time of duration. So in general, if there's people breathing and there's kind of you know viruses in the air for a while before someone kind of walks through it, that could be effective for killing that virus that's kind of hanging around for a while. But it, these lights are typically very, very low intensity. And there, there's a real danger of some gimmicky stuff happening here because there's a lot of things we probably don't need that aren't going to be effective that people will claim these UV magic is, is killing everything but they're probably not giving enough intensity of light to actually do anything. And, you know, we've seen this by going out and measuring some of these systems in the field, that the intensity is so low, the doses would take exposure of hours and hours of time. And, and the time that you and I are walking through that portal or that, you know, that hallway of UV light, you know, it's not going to do much for us to block any transmission between you and I chatting away as we walk through this, this hallway. So you need to have enough intensity of light to make sure that they can, they can actually inactivate the pathogens. What and, about a hospital? So there's a lot of cool UV technology used in hospitals already. They have these UV robots that can go into operating rooms after, you know, after an operation and run in and 10 to 15 minutes, they can disinfect, really blast the room with high UV light power and kill off anything on the surfaces and places that you can't often get to, you might miss with if you swab or, or washing around it. So UV has been used in hospitals for quite a long time in this way. And this is the traditional UV. It's not the 222. It's just, you know, it's a traditional UV 254 that you can get really high output from. So is there something about the spikes on the outside of the coronavirus that ultraviolet light shakes or rattles or breaks apart? Yeah. One of the things we look at in my research lab is looking at which wavelengths kind of do what type of damage to a particle like a virus. And we're finding that these low wavelengths actually impact the proteins, which are these spikes that help the virus find their host. The UV light at these wavelengths are very effective at destroying the proteins around the coat of the virus so that when it comes to find a host, it kind of, that signal is messed up and it can actually cause an infection. So we got an email from Ryan Kearns who says uh, his eight-year-old has suggested adding ultraviolet lights as a way to keep places sanitized. They have a bottle sanitizer that uses ultraviolet. Is that the same frequency of ultraviolet, the electric, electronic uh, sanitizing ultraviolet and the ultraviolet you'd have in a place of business? It is actually. They can make these UV lamps very, very small. And, and some of them even exist, say, in the cap of your water bottle. You can screw it on and press a button and then shake your water bottle for 15, 20 seconds and all the water in there will get exposed to the UV and get disinfected. In fact, when I go camping, I use what's called a SteriPen. It's kind of this little pen, you press a button, you 
stick it in an algae bottle and stir it around for 45 seconds. And then it kills off anything that you might've collected off of a stream in the back country. So it works quite well. You, uh, you trust it. You know, it's, it's magic. Honestly, I do trust it because I know the science and we've done the experiments and we've verified the kill and it's well known, but honestly, Bill, I mean, when you think about disinfectants, I mean, this is something you can't see, you can't taste. It works at the speed of light. I mean, it's literally magical in my mind. I love doing research on UV because it's got so many amazing applications. One of the concerns with pathogens, especially in, in the wilderness, is these cysts, these giardia and cryptosporidium. The thing is that chlorine actually is not very effective against these types of things. In fact, chlorine doesn't even work against cryptosporidium, and cryptosporidium was responsible for this huge outbreak in Milwaukee in the 1990s. Over 400,000 people got sick. A bunch, a lot of people died. Over 100 people died because chlorine just doesn't work. And it turned out we've discovered, you know, in the late 90s that UV was very effective against cryptosporidium because it's just these photons just zapping the nucleic acids, even though it's got this cyst that can survive out in temperatures and, and heat and, and light. UV would kill this thing so quickly. And that really brought UV into the forefront for water disinfection as a great, as a great opportunity. And that's why I feel really confident that it's going to kill off anything you're going to find in the back country when you might collect water from a stream somewhere. And it's really a crusade for me because I feel like chlorination has so many problems. Byproducts are formed, you know, they're, they're carcinogenic, there's taste problems, odor problems. There's many countries around the world that don't use any chlorine and they do effective disinfection with UV. And you know, we tend to just rely so much on chlorination, but it has a lot of challenges. And I feel like UV, especially in cases like in New York City, for instance, New York City's water supply is not filtered means like they don't they can't take out those particles and those cysts so they're using uv light because chlorine is not going to be effective against those things it just doesn't work so uv light is very effective at killing these things and that's really allowed places like seattle boston they don't filter their water it's amazing but they have uv light and that protects them against these filter these uh, these pathogens that would be filtered normally you can see why chlorine's around it was what they had a century ago you know right. they, without without electricity you can't Crank totally agree with you. Yeah. So, Chlorine's done amazing things for public health, but I ask you this: Would public health officials today, given the choice of putting in chlorine, here's a hazardous, toxic green gas, we're going to put it in your drinking water, and you're going to drink it? I mean, just think about the implications and and the chemicals that it forms can cause cancer. What's the deal with these modern saltwater pools? where the, there's no chlorine, there's some salt system. Yeah, the salt, the NAC actually gets, you know, through electrolysis, you actually form chlorine in that process. But it, it seems like this type of chlorine is, is a little bit safer. It, it doesn't form any byproducts. You know, pools, for instance, have this chlor, chloramine bubble on top of them, this chlorine gas bubble where, you know, swimmers are breathing this stuff in. And UV light's actually used in the pool industry to destroy these, these types of chemicals so they don't kind of, form this little haze over the water. So people are swimming, have a bit cleaner air to breathe. There's still, you have chlorine in the water, but the UV light can actually destroy the chemicals that are, that are formed in these gases. If you were king of the forest, would everybody be using ultraviolet for all sorts of things? You know, I feel like there's a really, really great future for UV because of things like LEDs that are being developed in the UV range. And because of the application potential in places that don't have the economies and, and, and the richness that we have in our country. Um, I feel like, you know, UV itself, because it doesn't add taste or color or odor to the water, it's a lot more accepted to different cultures who don't want to have a taste of chlorine. And like if you're used to drinking pure water, 
you're going to tell someone, here, put this chlorine in there or, or iodine. I mean, it'll taste nasty. It'll look weird. People feel uncomfortable putting chemicals in their water. But if you have a UV solution, I mean, there's so many amazing opportunities because it doesn't add those negative things to the water and it's very, very effective and it works super fast. I mean, it'll work in a matter of seconds. That's so cool. It's not magic, people. It's science. It is science. So uh, is ultraviolet really going to change the world? I mean, could it replace social distancing or even mask wearing? Yeah, I think you need a combination of things. Obviously, social distancing, mask wearing are keys. I mean, we're not going to stop everything using UV. First of all, UV may not be used appropriately. It might be low dose. It might be this portal that doesn't really do anything. Like I mentioned, there's a potential high risk for a lot of gimmicks out there using UV light. But that is a, in a combination, the things I mentioned with upper air germicidal, the air handling systems, and perhaps even exposure in this 222 to you know places where humans inhabit these combinations of strategies with social distancing and mask wearing, I think are really, really helpful. And I see, especially in schools, uh, places where, you know, you're going to be coming back to day after day and and seeing the same people and you have potential for high interaction. Uh, I think it really helped to help open up schools and open up businesses and be more safe. And especially in restaurants too. I mean, I'd be getting a lot of calls from folks in restaurants saying, how can I use UV effectively? I want to bring people back inside uh, I think with these strategies, but including, you know, safety precautions for the workers there is really important too. You're going to have a lot of UV, you know, just out freely in the air as well. So do people need to wear baseball hats when they're servers? One incarnation I've seen, I've seen actually is have a wide, wide brimmed hat like you would at the beach, you know, for a server and make sure the arms are covered because they're there, you know, they're in there for eight to 10 hours. If you're just there for an hour or two eating, you're not going to get exposed to the dose that's, you know, above the threshold limit value that would be of concern. And so more research is needed to tune this, right, to figure this out. Definitely. And the research we're doing, actually, we have a project funded by the National Science Foundation now to look at coronavirus disinfection with UV specifically. And we're trying to define precisely the doses required for disinfection so we can deliver the right doses in these settings, but also make sure we know that the doses aren't too high that would be damaging the human health. These are your tax dollars at work, people. This is pure research to make us all healthier and safer. Carl, thank you so much. Our guest today has been Dr. Carl Linden. He is a professor of environmental engineering at the University of Colorado in Boulder. If you like the show, please leave us a voicemail with your question. The number is 201-472-0785. You can also write to us at askbillnye.com. So my friends, this is a pandemic. We are all in this together. Now more than ever, science rules. If you like science rules, and of course I hope you do, please take a moment to rate and review it in Apple Podcasts and on Stitcher. It helps us out, helps other people learn about the show. So thank you. Science Rules Coronavirus Edition is produced by Harry Huggins and Corey S. Powell. Our editor is Tracy Samuelson. Our engineer is Luz Fleming, who also mixed this episode. Josephine Margarena is our executive producer. Special thanks to Casey Halford. Chris Bannon is the chief content officer at Stitcher. And at Stitcher, everyone, science rules. And three more things, you guys. Wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands. Oh, wait, there's more. Wear a mask and social distance. Stitcher. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter. 
Every day feels like Saturday, and French fries are a food group. Where flip-flops are always in fashion, and seafood is always in season. Where the boardwalk is bustling, and the beach is right outside your door. Where you can rise with the tide, and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland. Somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. 